The scripture on which the sermon is based is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 7. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is the word of the Lord. morning. Let's just pause and pray again. Father, we thank you for how so often from your word you can address deep areas of our life that we might not ever have examined, and we pray that today you would do that for your glory, for our good, for the joy of your people in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So there's this silly game that people play in which they secretly compare themselves to other people so they can feel good about themselves. And you know what I'm talking about, right? We all, we all do this kind of little comparison game thing, right? Like who's got the better job, who has the nicer house, who's taller, who's prettier, who went to the better school, who has more followers on Instagram, you know, what, whatever it might be, we just find these ways to sort of compare ourselves to others. And if you think about it, it's so ridiculous, right? Because in general, the, the, uh, the, the criteria that we use for comparison has absolutely nothing to do with our value as a human being, right? Like, who's got the best GPA in this class? That doesn't make you a better human. It doesn't even mean you're the smartest person there. I mean, just, it has, these are irrelevant, silly forms of comparison. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit that we do this. I was uh, reading a blog entry by a woman who was very honest about her struggles with comparisons. And uh, she said, I'm, said this, she said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I find myself even using my children um, to compare them with other people's kids as a way of, of doing this for myself. You know, like, oh, her baby was walking at 11 months. Mine didn't walk until 12 months. What's wrong with my kid? You know, that, and, it's, and then she said, no, it's not, what's wrong with me? Why would I do that? And so she wrote, I've never seen anyone say this. She said, you know, I realize I love my children. I wouldn't change, I wouldn't trade my kids with anyone else's kids in the whole world. Why do I use them comparing them with other people's kids like this just to feel good about myself? So, it, it, you know, this, this whole struggle with comparison is just a horrible thing to get caught up in, right? And spiritually speaking, it's, it's just deadly, 
I mean, it's, um, it, 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 it will kill your soul. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, Galatians 6, 4. The Bible says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Did you know the Bible tells you don't compare yourself to others? So why is something like that in the Bible? I'll tell you why. Because, listen, nothing good, nothing good ever comes to us spiritually when we're comparing ourselves to others. I mean, if you think about it, there, there can only be two possible results. Either you might run into somebody that in some area of life, you, they seem to be doing better than you are, and then you get all down on yourself and discouraged. Or maybe you find someone where you think you're actually doing better than them, and then you get filled with pride, which is, you know, that's poison. Pride's a sin that got the devil kicked out of heaven. I mean, it's, very, it's, it's deadly. So I think we would all agree that this, this whole comparison game thing, no good, right? The problem is, how in the world do you stop? Right? I'm 58 years old. I still find myself like it's just it's so. How do you how do you, can you be set free from having this kind of control the way you you approach life? Well, believe it or not, that topic is explored in the passage that we're looking at today. We're studying right now the book of First Corinthians, which is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the early church. And the men and women to whom the apostle wrote this letter, it seems that they were strugg really struggling with this comparison business. And just like today, the, th the thing that they were using to compare and rank each other, compare, it's just, it sounds so ridiculous, right? They, they, were, they were ranking themselves according to whose favorite preacher was the best, Right? So we saw this back in chapter 1. Some were saying, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Peter. No, you're no good. I follow Apollos. Which is, again, it's so random and so arbitrary. And so, and so, but it's the same, the same level of silliness of the, the criteria that we use for comparison. And, and the problem is that they were just trapped in this. And finding their value as individuals, their self-worth in this whole comparison deal. So the apostle wrote this passage. I really believe he loved them. Later in the, in the chapter, he just says, I, I feel like you're my own children, like I'm your father. And I, he, he loved them and he just wanted them free, set free from this. Verse six, notice he says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos. Why? He says, for your benefit, I'm writing this for your benefit. This was not a, a tongue lashing. This was not a scolding. Later in the chapter, verse 14, he says, I'm not writing this to shame you. His goal was to free them from shame. He, want, he just wanted them set free from this, this soul-crushing obsession with constantly comparing themselves to others. So how do you get free from that? What would possibly set, give us some freedom? Well, in, in this passage, the apostle explores what I would call two fundamental biblical concepts that when they begin to take root in your life, they, they just kind of liberate you from having to compare yourself. And the, and the two concepts are stewardship and grace. Stewardship and grace. So we'll start with stewardship. You'll notice in verse 1, he says, this is how one should regard us. And he's talking about us preachers, us apostles, me, Peter, Apollos. Here's how you should think about us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What is a steward? Well, in Bible times, a steward was a servant 
who had been entrusted with a certain portion of the master's estate and had been given the responsibility of caring for that, the master's property for, for a period of time. So the steward didn't own the property, didn't belong to him, belongs to the master, but it had been entrusted to this one servant's care. So some of you, are you familiar with a, there's a parable in Matthew 25 that Jesus told about a very wealthy man who's going to go on a journey, and so he calls in three of his servants, and he entrusts to each servant a different quantity of money. One gets five units of money, one gets three, one gets one. And then the master basically says to the servants, he says, I'm going on a long journey, I'm entrusting this money to your care, put it to work while I'm gone, and when I get back, we'll see how you've done. So you've heard of that parable. In that parable, those servants were stewards. That's just a steward is a, a servant entrusted to take care of what belongs to the master. And Paul says about these apostolic preachers, including himself, he says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. I think what he means by that is, we are stewards of the gospel message. So as preachers, they didn't own the gospel, didn't belong to them, it belonged to God. These are the mysteries of God. But they, they had been entrusted with the care of this message for the church and for the world. Look at verse 2. He tells you why it's what you need to understand about yourself if you are a steward. He said, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. So Paul says, because I, I, I recognize that I'm a steward, I just have to be faithful. I don't have to be successful. I don't have to be famous. I don't have to worry if I have a bigger ministry than Peter does or Apollos does. All I am is a steward, and all a steward ever has to be is just faithful. And then Paul goes on to say what should be of interest to us. He basically says, guys, do you know how liberating this is? How liberating to view yourself that way. Verse 3 through 4, he says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. So I don't know if you see what he's saying. He's saying, because I, this is the way I view myself. I, I'm just a steward. I answer to the master. Everything I have is entrusted to me by him. I, you know what? Because of that, I'm no longer enslaved to other people's opinions about me. Doesn't matter what they think. And, and, and I'm no longer caught up in this, this silly game of trying to, you know, evaluate, you know, somehow validate myself by comparing myself. I don't need, it doesn't even matter what I think about myself. He's like, I'm free. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to play that game. It's the Lord who judges me. Like, I just, I play for an audience of one. That's all I, that's the way I go through life. Doesn't that sound refreshing to live that way? Well, I think he wants all of us to live that way because if you look at verse 6, he goes on to say, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos. Again, why? For your benefit, brothers and sisters. This is not just for apostles. This is not just for preachers. He says, I've applied this for your benefit so that you might learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you might be puffed up in favor of one against another. So he says, I'm telling you this about us apostles because I want you to experience the same thing. I think he would say to the Corinthians, Okay, you are not stewards of the mysteries of God. You haven't been called to be preachers. But you're stewards, nevertheless. Like all, all, all Christians, anyone following Jesus should say, I am, I am a steward. Everything that I have and all that I am 
has been entrusted to me by the master. Temporarily, someday, he'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about how it went. But all of my abilities, all of my opportunities, all of my experience, all of my education, the family I come from, the time that I have, the income God provides, any of it, the, the body that I have, the health that I have, the strength that I have, all these things are just entrusted to me by God. And uh, they're on loan from him. So that's what he says to them in verse 7. He says, who sees anything different in you? Like, you're no different than me and Apollos. What do you have that you didn't receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So I don't know if you're, you're tracking with me, but he's saying, guys, I, I, here's how I view myself. I'm just a servant. That's it. All I have to be is faithful. It's the same for you. All you have to be is faithful. And listen, you know what that means? You don't have to be impressive. Whew. What a relief. You don't have to be cool. All right? So stop trying. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be relevant. You don't have to be liked. You don't have to be accepted. You don't have to be any of that stuff. Right? You're a steward. You have an audience of one now. So guess what? If other people put you down, or butter you up, or drive you to be more than you are, or tell you that you don't measure up, you could say to them the very same thing the Apostle Paul says here at the end of verse 4. It's the Lord who judges me. I don't have to impress you. And if, and if, you, begin, if you begin to let that sink in, it can, it, it can be one of the most liberating truths of your entire life. I play to an audience of one now, and what an audience. Huh, no one's loved me like he does. It's just, it sets you free. So I remember years ago, um, I met a young man. He, just, uh, he visited this church a few times, and he asked, he asked if he could meet with me one day, and we sat down together, really fine young Christian man, and he looked so discouraged. And I asked him what, what the deal was. And his story was he had just finished years of schooling, um, college, grad school, very elite institutions, very difficult schooling. He passed, and he had, just, he had just got hired in his chosen career, which was a very prestigious, high-paying career. And he hated it. I mean, he just hated it. And here he is going to have to do this for the rest of his life. At least that's how he felt. And I remember asking him, why, why did you choose that profession? And you can guess the answer. I had to make my parents proud. I had to. He just had this look of being trapped. And some of you know what that's like to have that kind of mental loop Maybe it's been the same mental loop for you your whole life. I have to make my father proud. I have to make my father proud. I have to make, or I have to be thin. I have to be thin. I have to be thin. Or I must own my own home. I must someday, you know, whatever is that crazy. Can we call it just a lie that begins to play over and over and over and enslaves you? And do you understand what's in this passage? The apostle is saying to us that Jesus wants us, listen, free from that, we say, I don't, I have a, a, a friend who works in uh, retail, 
And one day he was in his store, Lord and Taylor, and this, and this woman came up to him and said, you have to do this for me. And, and, uh, and he said, lady, I don't have to do anything but pay taxes and die, right? I don't have to do this for you. And when we have that little loop, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, have to do this, we just say, no, I don't. I don't have to do anything, anything, but serve Jesus. I'm a steward. That's all I have to do. And Paul says, that just, you have any idea how free I am? I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I don't even try to measure myself. I just, I'm free. So that's the one concept that can just set us free from this comparison thing is, is stewardship. The second concept is grace. Now, to see grace in this passage, it's here. Boy, is it here. But you have to look, you have to look a little closer or you might miss it. Look, would you look with me at verse 5? Um, verse 5, he says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation, Literally, each one will receive his praise from the Lord. There's a, a Christian scholar, D.A. Carson, and he says, he says this, the way that verse 5 ends is, quote, he says, the most remarkable feature of this paragraph. Why? Because Paul is saying, someday Jesus, the Lord of, of, of the universe, is going to come back and he will judge his people. He will bring to light the things hidden in darkness. He will disclose the purposes of the, of the heart. And then, you, here's how you, what you expect, or at least what I would expect. End of verse 5, it's going to end this way. And then, some will receive commendation from God and others will receive condemnation from God. You know, I don't, you better get ready because some will receive praise and some will receive a rebuke. But isn't this weird? He doesn't say that. He, he says, then each one, everyone will receive commendation or praise from God. Now, it's, I do think it's very important to remember the context of this. The apostle here is writing to whom? He's writing to a community of Christians. And they're not the best Christians in the world, all right? They have their struggles. But these were all men and women and, and young people who had come to the place where they're trusting, they're trusting Jesus Christ to be their Savior, to be the one who makes things right between them and God. I think if he had been right addressing a group of non-Christians, people who hadn't come to that, that place of faith in their lives, I think he would have said something very different. And maybe you're not a Christian today. You're not yet trusting Christ. I think if he were addressing people who were not yet believers, I think very lovingly, respectfully, he'd say this. He'd say, my friends, Jesus is coming back to judge, and you need to be very, very worried about that. Because you've never received his offer of forgiveness. You've never opened your heart to him to receive the gift of new life in Christ. You've refused that. And so when he comes back again, you will be judged for your sins. I think that that's what he would say if, if he were addressing non-believers. But he's addressing people for all their faults and all their failures. They've started to trust in Christ. And so he says, when the Lord comes back to judge us, each one will receive praise. Each one will receive commendation. Now, why does he, why does he say this? I, he says this because 
Here's this great truth that we find in the Bible. If you, I don't care how messed up you are or what you've done, if you have turned and just been honest with God about your brokenness and sinfulness and you've begun to trust Christ as the one that can restore you and forgive you and make things right between you and God. If, by the way, if you've never done that, today would be a great day to start. You're invited to do this. But if you've trusted Christ this way, here's the concept. The Bible says that in the eyes of God, you have been, have you heard this word? You have been justified. Which means because, by virtue of the fact that you've been united with Christ through faith, God has made a permanent declaration over your life. And God has said, from here on out and for the rest of forever, you are righteous in my eyes. You are accepted. God just looks at you and says, oh, every, any and every sin or fault in your life ever has now been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. Any kind of moral debt you ever had with me has been paid for through the sacrifice of my son. And, and, you, and so God says, you never, ever, ever need to fear my judgment ever again. You're approved. That's a, man, isn't that a great, th great thought? Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no common condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've come to Christ, if you're like the people whom Paul was addressing here, you're trusting Jesus. Listen to me. You are a, re a recipient of grace. You've received grace. Now, again, you might be asking, all right, what in the world does this have to do with me? Stop, stop comparing myself to others and always worrying about this. Well, listen, let's put it this way. There's one and only one person in this universe whose opinion of you matters at all, right? And because of Christ, that person has already given you his blessing. You have it already. And so what that means is that, you know, the same idea. Listen, Christian, you don't have to prove anything to anyone ever again. You don't have to be better than, smarter than, richer than, prettier than anyone. The only person in the universe whose opinion matters. He's looking at you and smiling, right? So what does that mean? Believer, listen to me. You're free. Do you believe that? Maybe today what, what you need to do with this sermon is just start to pray. God, would you make that so real in my life that it's, it starts to kick in and I believe it. You are free to be the person God designed you to be. You are free to live for the glory of your creator from, from here on out. Listen, you are free to delight in the love of the Savior. Every day just wake up and say, I'm going to be happy today because no matter what, he loves me. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. You are free to love and serve other people. I mean, really love other people. You know why? Because they are now no longer the competition. Right? We're free. Would you pray with me? Let's, let's invite the Lord to make this so real for each one of us. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. And this truth you desire for it to, to be so life-changing and real that it fills us with joy and it sets us free from having to prove things to others. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, 
you would make that real for every person in this room, wherever we're at with you, that you would make that such a delightful truth that we would rejoice in it. And we ask this in the name of the one who gave himself for us in Jesus' name.